you go into a boxing match, if you lose, it's a lesson, but if you win, it's a blessing. It's the same thing in life. Losing or failing doesn't have to be the end all be all. It's actually where we get the most wisdom and understanding in life. And a lot of times it's where you find your true purpose. Choose not to live in a world of filters. Realize your mistakes. Set the foundation for your success. Get some wins. Knucklehead Podcast. Welcome to another edition of Knucklehead Podcast. You got with you today, the Knucklehead, Stephen. And I'm excited. We got a guest with us today. For those of you who are listening, you know we jump right in. We don't want to spend a whole lot of time wading on the kitty into the pool. We just we just jump right in. We got with us today, Lex Brown. He and I became acquainted primarily through LinkedIn. We started talking back and forth. It just so happened that his background is military, but he's got a diversification of interests. I'll just put it to you that way. He's an entrepreneur. He's actually one of the lead techs for a veteran organization called TechWald. And he's going to talk to you a little bit today about some of the struggles that are associated with not just transition, but raising a family. I'll let him tell more of his story, but he's got a few kids, let's just say a handful. And that means his attention is going to be distracted at best in some cases, but he's taken it upon himself to change his daily schedule. I just before I belabor the point, Lex, welcome to the show, man. How are you doing? Hey, thanks, brother. Uh, good morning, good afternoon, good evening to the audience, man. Of course, Stephen, I appreciate you bringing me on, brother. So I'm ready to rock and roll and, and uh, answer any questions or, or tell my story and get it going. Let's start there. This whole show is predicated on the fact that people are going to screw up along the way. I think in today's climate and culture, it's there's this expectation of, of perfection. If you can't have perfect, then you shouldn't have anything at all. And yeah. I don't know where that came from. I, I honestly am confused. I've never felt that that's a like yeah. a realistic expectation. It's yeah. you're gonna screw up. I mean, you've created this process around uh, helping veterans connect with the the tech software as a service, or even just tech oriented companies in the sales realm. There's a process to get to that, and it's not foolproof. It doesn't work every single time to begin with, and then there's an entire business that you've built around it. So let's. Let's, let's talk real quick about what's your attitude towards failure. Think back to maybe a time whenever you were relatively young where you screwed up and how'd you recover from that? Oh, man, I got plenty of stories to relate to on that. You know, I, I'll relate to uh, growing up playing sports, right? And I'll take uh, boxing in particular. Uh, Coach Westerterp, uh, he used to have a saying. I'm pretty sure many other coaches have the similar saying, you know, you go into a boxing match, you know, if you lose, it's a lesson. But if you win, it's a blessing. Uh, it's the same thing in life, right? Uh, losing or failing doesn't have to be the end-all, be-all. In fact, it really shouldn't be. It's actually where we get the most wisdom and understanding in life. And a lot of times it's where you find your true purpose. Is where you find uh, and unearth what your direction really should be, whether it's a business or a relationship or whatever it, it is in life. So um, I'm comfortable with failure, totally comfortable with failure. Obviously, as a dad, like you are, you know, and I've got that handful of kids, you know, five and counting. You know, for me, I don't want to jeopardize the livelihood of my family and my household, obviously. Right. I I would not go to the extreme of where I can't provide for them, uh, but I will absolutely beyond what I have to dedicate to upholding my house and making sure they have what they need, whatever's extra. Hey, uh, me and my lady, we have an understanding because she's very entrepreneurial as well. And we're going to continue to pour into our ideas and our visions and, and see what we can make uh, manifest. I got two questions. One about your boxing background. But before I go down that route, I wanted to talk to you about 
uh, your uh, your kids. Has that spilled over into your kids at all? Have they wanted to be entrepreneurs or explored that option? Absolutely. So my oldest, uh, and I have quite a big age gap between my my first couple of children. Uh, so my oldest, she's 14. Um, she's just starting high school, so she's a freshman now. Um, and, and actually, she just came home the other day and was talking about, you know, how you get the, the warm-up uh, icebreakers in, in school, in your classes, getting to know everyone. And of course, you know, they asked the question, what do you want to be when you get older? And her response was the only response in the room that says, I want to be an entrepreneur. Uh, and through that, I want to be an interior designer. That's going to be her foundation. Um, no so, kidding. How old is yeah, she? 14. She's 14. And yep. you believe that some of that was born out of watching you and your wife pursue entrepreneurship? Absolutely. And we're very intentional about teaching our children that, you know, nothing, not that there's anything wrong with the career at all. Obviously, we have both uh, worked hard, myself and, and my wife. So we both come from that uh, humble beginnings. Um, we're not af- afraid to go and work hard uh, for any organization, but we also have the belief that, you know, you should always be building something for yourself, for your family, for your legacy as well. Uh, yeah. So my kids understand, especially the oldest one right now, that, hey, you're going to school to get an education to ultimately build your own business, whether it's a business of one or you end up becoming an employer and bringing on, you know, tens or dozens or hundreds of people online. Yeah. So the the opportunity there, and this is true, too, based off of your uh, your boxing background. Honestly, I want you to talk real quick about about the mental anguish associated with getting your cardio to a point where you can start throwing punches and then being conditioned in a way where you can survive over the course of a period of time during a fight. Can, can you talk real quick? Because that's I think that there's a there's some parallels there between the brick walls that you run into in entrepreneurship. And, and let's be clear, revenue generation in the, in the context of entrepreneurship is what we're talking about here. We're not talking about back end operations just now. That's a that's an, you know a topic for a different discussion. We're talking about going out there in creating demand, finding your value in the marketplace, hooking and jabbing, and uh, and having people part with their hard-earned dollars to put towards your pocket so you can go give them a quality product or service, but at the same time also get yours. Yep. And and to parallel that to boxing, right? And in really any sport, but just sticking to boxing, um, it's like going from being an amateur to, to the pro levels, right? Because just like with, the, with a business, you would like to generate revenue and make it profitable. Uh, well, in boxing, nine times out of 10, a fighter has a goal, right? Either it's uh, oftentimes the Olympics early on and wanting to get that gold medal or silver or whatever it is for them. Um, and then beyond that, like a Floyd Mayweather and many other boxers before and after him, then it becomes going pro and actually getting those W's in that W column um, and earning money. Um, so in between that, you have the training, you know, the, the strength and conditioning, you have the sparring with other fighters. Um, you might catch injuries during your training sessions and have to recover from those even before you actually get into the real fight. You know, yep. so you've got a lot of uh, process and struggle to go through before you even get to the actual ring to actually fight your fight. Um, and then there's that mental capacity while you're in the ring. Um, on top of having you know people in your corner who are coaching you and giving you advice. So it's like in life, you know, you might be trying to build something and, and be active in something. And all the while you've got your people on the sideline, some that mean you good, right? And they're giving you direction. And then you've got people out in the audience that maybe throw some hateration your way or, you know, have some negative vibes to give you. And you've got to kind of deal with all of that 
and still have that focus on I'm in this ring with my opponent and I need to be able to think and defend myself and survive and thrive in this uh, in this process. So what led you to the formality process of, you know, processing the administration? What led you to that route as opposed to pursuing the athletic route? So I was pursuing the athletic route. I went to Georgia State University for um, a couple of semesters before joining the military. Um, I also was already pursuing entrepreneurship at that time as well. Um, But military is really a family thing, a heritage thing for for myself. Uh, My mother's father was in the Army, unfortunately passed away in Vietnam War. Uh, Then her stepfather is an Army veteran. He's retired today. Uh, My dad is, is a vet, his dad as well. Uh, and many other, you know, uncles and aunts and whatnot. So it's it's something that was always there. And when I found myself at a point in my life where I didn't want to, you know, continue to accrue student loan debt, I didn't want to do something just typical. And I also knew I needed discipline and structure because sometimes, you know, you can be good at a few things and that makes you unable to focus, unable to really hone in on something. So I knew the military would say, hey, here's your job, right? And in the beginning, of course, it gives you something to start from, right? Gives you a target that's not moving on you so that you can really sharpen your skills. And then from there, now they throw you in the fire. You know, hey, I want you to lead this. I need you to take over this program. I need, here's a couple of troops where you need you to show them how things need to be done around here. Uh, so it's, it just was a growth opportunity uh, on top of being something tied to family history. And um, I loved every minute of it while I was in. So in the context of, uh, of training and, and helping other folks, I got to ask you. So for those of you who are listening, you know, we've talked about this before. Uh, we intentionally we, actually we don't even really intentionally do it. We the, here at Knucklehead, one of our first guests was one of my best friends. He's a Marine uh, down in uh, down in Austin. He actually coached my wife for one of her fitness competitions. He runs a fitness and wellness company. He, he started supplements, soup to nuts. He, he has his own branded supplement line. He's a black guy. I'm a white guy, right? We've had we've had rape victims on the show to come back and talk about their stories of you know being uh, out in the field and being uh, subjected to that type of, that a different level of of evil and cruelty, only to be ridiculed the entire time through the entire process. It, it's just a we've we've talked about some pretty incredible stories on this particular show, but one thing that's a narrative that's been happening in in, in media for quite some time is there's this inability for a white person and a black person to have just a normal conversation around. And I, and I hate framing it into that particular context, because to me, it's ridiculous that you got to put some, some limits and clarification. I never do that. If I'm going out to parts of East Texas and I'm having a conversation with somebody out that way, who happens to be white, but lives in a trailer. I mean, when my grandfather was in the trailer, my dad was adopted. He left when I was 15. I didn't have a pot to piss in. I was, you know, I lived with a buddy of mine. I had to pay his parents rent by working construction. So all this generational stuff that they're talking about, I have no idea what they're talking about. So when it comes to those narratives, I struggle sometimes connecting with that because I see so many examples of people that are first generation entrepreneurs or second generation entrepreneurs because they have that spirit of belief inside them that they just want to, they want to be able to reach down inside them and go make something of themselves. It doesn't matter what color you are or where you came from. That's inherently needs to be supported, in my opinion. Yeah, I I agree. I agree. And honestly, I think sometimes it's born out of different circumstances, right? You know, everybody's different. For me, I'm the oldest child, you know, of all my siblings. So I've always had a sense of responsibility to others. 
and wanting to make room for others, you know, in the military as, as we both uh, served, you know, when you, especially when you become an NCO or maybe on the officer side, you've got people to lead. Uh, you're always looking, you know, how to enhance their careers too. It becomes not just about how do you get that next promotion and things like that, but how, you know, how are they going to get promoted? Um, and then ultimately coming out to the private sector, you know, being at places like Dish Network and uh, Mobility and Amazon uh, and Pipedrive, which is a software company, uh, having opportunities to want to improve things, right? And I think a lot of entrepreneurs are problem solvers and people who want to improve stuff. And sometimes when you can't do it from within whatever framework you're already working in, whatever organization you're at, you know, and they're, they're already uh, set in their ways. They've already got their procedures, you know, established. And it's like, well, I've got these ideas. I've got this methodology I'd like to try out. It's probably just best if I venture out here and do it myself. Because I think this could be better. I think this could be different. So I think that it comes from that. That, that commonality, that framework of what you're talking about, the reason why there's so much validity to it is it's not specific to a generation. Your daughter, who's 14 years old, has already recognized that there's an opportunity in the marketplace that she wants to capitalize on in a niche. Is entrepreneurship something that was taught to you or did you see an example? Like, who was it that you looked to to say, you know what, I really enjoy that perspective or that example. I think I'm going to emulate that. Honestly, it was always external. You know, my mother, she's a very hard worker. You know, she's uh, she's always worked hard. But you know what? Let me take that back. It was my mother when I think about it, because as a teenager, um, I remember her wanting to go and venture out and become an interior designer of her own uh, to get her real estate license. And so I was always again, you know, she had me fairly young. So we had a pretty close relationship growing up and I was assisting her writing her marketing plans, you know, putting together her business plan, helping her pick the name for her business and things it, like as that. As a teenager, you helped her do that? As, as a teenager, right. So that was inspiring to me. And then, of course, a lot of the people that I looked out to externally, because, you know, even though my dad, great guy, you know, he's a veteran as well. I didn't know him growing up. I didn't know him actually until I was a father, you know, until my oldest daughter was born. Um, so without his, with his absence, you know, of course, I was looking to my coaches, you know, I had a neighbor in the, in the neighborhood who uh, taught me how to tie my necktie and showed me other things, right? One of your neighbors taught you how to tie your necktie? Yep. Uh, so Mr. Ogle, you know, and unfortunately, he's passed away a few years ago, so may he rest in peace, but I'm still friends with his children, you know? So little things like that. I, I, I always looked out for things I could borrow, you know, whether I was reading a book or watching a movie or listening to someone's interview or just interacting with someone through a, a sport, you know, if, if there was an element of them, and as a man, I'll speak specifically to element of manhood, right? Because at home, I had a strong woman who cared about me, who showed me work ethic and all those great things, nurturing, how to cook, how to survive. But I didn't have that male figure, you know, in my house every day showing me that. So I got that through my coaches. I got that through, and I know a lot of people can relate to this black, white, or whatever background. Um, and that's kind of where I saw entrepreneurs as, for whatever reason, identify with them the most. And I can give an example, like people in the neighborhood, uh, the, the people that own the barbershops, people that own their own restaurants, things like that. Let's talk about, obviously, the development of your perspective of entrepreneurship being a really good example. And, you know, that being your chosen methodology. We had Yin Young. Yin Young, he was on Shark Tank. He ran a, a fast casual sushi joint called How Do You Roll? 
uh, in Austin with his brother. It was a food concept that they developed. They actually ended up building up the 50 locations before they sold. Anyway, he was on Shark Tank, came on to Knucklehead, and he started talking about how you don't fall in love with your business. You know, as an entrepreneur, your job is to generate revenue and then obviously do do so where you can create a profit and that profit dives back into the business so it can continue to grow. And you can develop systems and processes to make sure that there are strong, steady streams of income. You could also do that in a job. You could also do that in the marketplace. You don't necessarily have to have a, a business yeah. uh, that you own in order to do that. So talk real quick about you recognizing there's the, all these opportunities in the marketplace, but then also leveraging some of your entrepreneurship skills to to connect veterans to those opportunities. Talk real quick about how that how that process played out. Absolutely. So um, currently, I, I still work full time, even though I'm building my business, Moonlighting. Uh, I'm a director of recruiting at a company called TechWall, also stepping over into business development. And so as you mentioned, you know, it's an entrepreneurial job every day. I, I'm in control of my time for the most part. My CEO, uh, Todd Brown, same last name, no relation, but great mentor. He's not a micromanager. He's empowered me with the ability to make decisions on behalf of the business, right? To treat it like it's my own, uh, because in all honesty, uh, my lane is mine. Um, and so I treat it as such, you know, I want to make sure I'm bringing quality, high value veterans into the market, but also on a daily basis, when I'm interacting with veterans, I don't just leave the ones by the wayside who don't uh, get selected or who might not make it through our board. Uh, I spend the time with them to determine, okay, well, what is it that you want to do? You know, uh, what are you looking into? What's your background? So that I can steer them in the proper direction, uh, because they still have value to add in other places. Um, uh, but back to the main point, you know, building relationships with these uh, employers, right? Uh, and I won't name names of companies at the moment, but we're building new relationships. I just got off a meeting yesterday, right? And it's all about not just finding jobs, but finding lucrative opportunities for our veterans, right? You know, they have the leadership capabilities, a lot, oftentimes college education. So I don't believe that they should have to come out here and, and uh, be underemployed you know, much less unemployed. Uh, so not only are we seeking real jobs, we're also making demands and holding standards as to what they need to be offering veterans when they come through our program to talk to our candidates. So that's where entrepreneurship plays. And you found also through the through that entire pursuit that you've stepped on it a time or two, right? Or oh, absolutely, does it work perfectly every single time? Every time you t- every single time you take up the telephone, people are like, yes, absolutely, I support. Uh, veterans and employment. Go ahead. Yeah, man, there's a couple of nuances that could lead to failure with this program, right? So number one, vetting veterans, right? I might think somebody's absolutely great. uh, And then they get through, they might even make it through selection board, right? Sometimes they might get shot down by the selection board. And then I'm like, dang, I I want, you know, 100% quality every time I send somebody up. My hope is that they get approved uh, because that's why I'm here to vet them. Um, so that's a disappointment. But what's bigger of a disappointment is for them to make it through selection board, get into a cohort, actually start going and then become a totally different person sometimes and uh, be a different type of candidate and ultimately not be successful in in the program, whether they don't graduate because of personal choice or maybe they do finish. And then they might back out of a lot of interviews and a lot of offers that they might get on the table. So, and of course, hurts the reputation of the program. Also hurts my reputation uh, being over recruiting 
and business development. So that's fail point. Has that happened to you before? Let's talk real quick about that happening in what in personally, like talk real quick about the anguish and then how you just kind of dusted it off and, and went on to the next thing. Oh yeah, man. Resilience is a big thing, dusting it off, being able to recover quickly, adapt and overcome, like we all learn in the military. So that's always a big thing. I I never dwell on something too long. You know, it's about, you know, sitting in it long enough to kind of pick apart the lessons that need to be taken from it and then just let it go and keep moving forward, right? right but yeah, there's yep. there's been a couple of times, uh, especially in recent times, and some of it has to do with COVID-19 and other external factors. But man, there's there was one person in particular I was very adamant about and I even made a big deal, you know, because there were some flags and uh, some of the selection board were like, hey, you know, I do like this person and they speak well or whatever the case may be, but what about this? What about that? And I'm like, I don't worry about that, you know, because such and such and such and such. Okay. So push them through. And the next thing you know is like, well, I was flexible, but now that I think about it, I'm I'm only really wanting to go to these markets. Okay, well, now you just close the scope on opportunities, especially when we've already started telling companies, hey, we got this great candidate here and he's willing to go wherever he needs to go. So it just snowballs from there, right? Then it's, you know, well, I know I said I'd be okay with this ballpark or range of compensation, but what I'm really looking for is this. Well, that's not the understanding that we established in the beginning. I'm not saying you don't deserve to earn that, but we already set the parameters. This is where you would start and then you can work away. So long story short, end up being somebody who, and then ultimately shred the agreement that he signed too. So not only did he refuse some opportunities that were being presented to him, but then he also uh, made a big fuss to back out of the agreement that he signed, which we let him out because we don't believe in trying to hold anyone hostage, especially because we're dealing with veterans and that's not our goal. Our goal is we only make money if veterans are making money at TechWall, right? Uh, so our our incentive is to get them placed as quickly as possible once they complete our program. And what we do help people count. Them. So, so that experience, that experience can make somebody pretty in military. We have a term called salty, right? Or uh, out in the civilian world, they call it uh, they call it other things. I, I can think of terms like butt hurt and, you know, oh, my goodness, this guy or this person, they ruined my rep. But I like how you prefaced that entire story by stating that you just got to pull the lessons from it and then move on to the next thing. Right. And yeah. the lessons in the context of, of that are, are maybe those red flags that the board saw gave the indication that that would, that would happen. So now factoring that into the dis- selection process, you know what I mean? Absolutely. Absolutely. And also a fail point too, is still respecting this person's perspective. So although I disagree with a lot of the way they approach things, it doesn't mean that, you know, they don't have some, some justifiable reasons as to why they're looking at things a certain way because everybody's path is different too. So maybe something changed personally with their relationship and that's what shifted their geography uh, preferences or, you know, whatever might be going on with them personally. They, they're not communicating with me. Although obviously business is business and you want to stick to what you agreed to. Yep. We're still dealing with human beings at the end of the day. So I don't hold anything against that person or any person. Um, in fact, if they reached out to me and still wanted some help and advise me, of course, I would lend that time and uh, effort to them. So you, you're part of a, a group of folks. Talk real quick about about some of the support that you've been able to find, because we both know that support in the context of, yeah, you got folks that, that think like you, they're like 
I've heard it classified before as like-hearted, maybe not necessarily like-minded. You you don't need everybody that thinks like you, but what you want is you want people who believe in the same things that you believe so you can feel supported uh, with wherever you're at. And so right now you're, you're part of some groups, but talk real quick about that and then tell people how to get in touch with you and then we'll put a wrap on this thing. Cool. Yeah. Many groups, man, that are, that are great. Of course, Tech Ball, I, I got to throw Tech Ball in there as, as top number one. Uh, just everything about helping veterans get into viable positions to earn merit-based income. Uh, right. I found it as a big deal. I graduated from the program myself, so Tech Ball is major. Bunker Labs is another uh, program I'm involved with. So Veterans in Residence is the program. I know you probably can hear my son in the background now. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, Hey man, this is this a COVID-19 and the way that things work now, you hear all types of things in the background. So yeah, yeah, man, that's a, that's a family man right there. Yep. So Bunker Labs as an, as an entrepreneur, Bunker Labs has a partnership with WeWork, which is a co-working space that has uh, hundreds and hundreds of offices worldwide. Um, And what they do for veterans is uh, provide a space and environment for us to work on our business ideas along with cohort style collaboration with other veterans, you know, a small uh, group in each city. I think it's about eight to 10 per city where every week we do a huddle together. We talk, we hold each other accountable. We talk about, uh, you know, what goals we have. And ultimately there's uh, obviously a purpose by the end of the six month period of where your business should be. um, If you're effectively utilizing the program, uh, the way that it's designed, Uh, not to mention again, the cool workspace that you get free access to, 24 seven along with other resources. So shouting them out. Um, Veterati, I'm a mentor on that network, but also like to have conversations with other people as a mentee. Uh, so if you're a military veteran, and you don't know about Veterati, check it out. Uh, you can have some cool conversations with some great people. And I guess last but not least, I'll throw out Meravis and Salesforce because I think they're doing incredible work. Meravis.org uh, is a nonprofit founded by uh, Hector and Katie Perez. Uh, what they do is prepare veterans to become Salesforce certified administrators and consultants. You know, we're talking a pretty nice income. Not only does it provide pathway to jobs, but entrepreneurship as well, if that's the direction you want to go. Um, and then to get in touch with me, find me on LinkedIn, linkedin.com backslash in, you know, I-N backslash Lex R. Brown. Same thing on Twitter and Instagram, Lex R. Brown, or you can email me, Lex at qual.com. So that's how you can get in touch with me. Um, And I'm always ready to partner up with other veterans and veteran organizations uh, so we can continue the mission of, you know, helping veterans make successful transitions uh, and bounce back from whatever hurdles and obstacles they might be running into here in life. I like the experience that you had about taking that experience that you had as a boxer and then applying those lessons to uh, entrepreneurship and life, even the pursuit of a military career uh, in the context of being able to support your family. Because if you're out there in the marketplace and you run into some resistance, you really got to dig down and ask yourself why you're doing it and Mm -hmm. what are you doing it for? And to be able to have something as, as important as family and as important as being that father that was there for your kids. So they don't have to tell that story to another generation of their kids. Exactly. That's a big burning reason why. So anything else that you want to leave these folks with before we jam Lux? Shoot, man. Something stuck with me since elementary school. I saw it on a poster. I'm pretty sure I was in a Saturday school. So I, I was definitely in the wrong, but I was learning something right. And the poster just said attitude determines altitude. 
probably was like a third or fourth grader when I saw that poster. And, you know, I just always like to leave that quote on the table, right? You know, no matter what you might be going through, if you're listening to this podcast, everything could be going great, right? And maybe, um, you know, we got to check your, atti- your own attitude and, and make sure you have some humility uh, and realize that other people might not have it so great at this at this moment. So try not to be that, that successful person that's annoying. Uh, and then on the flip side, right? You know, nobody wants to be around a person that wallows in a time hardship and failure. You know, yes, it's okay to ask for help, uh, but do it with a positive attitude and also still do it where you're seeking to lend help to others as well, even when you need help. Um, and that's just kind of my advice. My attitude determines altitude. So no matter where you are on the spectrum, uh, I think if we all check our attitudes and egos at the door, it ends up being a greater interaction. There you go. There you go. Lex, I appreciate you. Uh, taking the time to spend some time with us, telling us a little bit about some resources that you've been able to access to create opportunities for yourself, but then also putting yourself out there to be that resource for somebody who needs to uh, needs to do that. My, my challenge to the Knucklehead community is this. Before you go over to Manscaped and type in the promo code Knucklehead to get your 20% off, go to LinkedIn, connect with Lex, go to those social media platforms where he talked uh, about connecting with him. He just put himself out there. The context of the struggles that he's had to overcome, the process reinforcement that he's had through athletics, through military, and now through entrepreneurship and other formal programs, it's a great resource. So my challenge to you is, is to go over and do that. So with that, every Tuesday we come out with new episodes. If you like listening to Knucklehead, go and subscribe, leave a review. Lex, he's going to be dusting off a podcast project too that he hasn't talked about here, but I'll just go ahead and let the cat out of the bag that the name of the podcast project is Resecure the Bag. And you can actually check it out on anchor.fm backslash Resecure the Bag. Uh, so yes, please do check that out. I have a few episodes from previous recordings and Stephen will be a guest on an episode as soon as I relaunch. So thanks for mentioning that. Resecure the Bag. Yep. So if you're an anchor listener, uh, go over there, leave a review, tell X what you liked about the episode, go and subscribe to the show. Appreciate that. So with that, we appreciate y'all. Have a good rest of the day and go and make it happen today. Go out and get you some wins. We call that process, go get some wins. And don't be a bait about the process because you're going to get your nose bloodied. You're going to get your knees scraped up, but just move past it. Trust me, the resistance is never going to stop, but right. it's what are you going to do about it when you hit it? So with that, we are a wrap. We'll see you guys. Have a good rest of the day.